Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. Do you aspire to become the best leader you can be? Then come along with me and GLE. Faith, love, integrity, courage. Four key values of great leaders all around the world. I'm Phil Swanson, and I'm on a mission to bring you leaders from all walks of life and arm you with the tools and mindset to lead effectively in whatever you are called to do. Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to GLE. Got a special episode today. I'm sitting here with a friend of mine from Porter hedges we actually met at a networking event here in houston not too long ago and have bonded and and had a couple lunches and and he's become an individual that i greatly respect and and my wife and i've had the opportunity to hang out with a couple times i wanted to have him on gle and share a little bit about what he's doing with you all joe welcome to the show my friend yeah thanks for that Uh, thanks for the introduction (laughs) yeah man so we met at a networking event you, you're working with Porter Hedges now. Give, give our audience a little background on you and your story that has kind of led you down the, the law path to Porter Hedges where you are today. Yeah, no. Um, so, you know, I'm a partner out Porter Hedges. So I do um, I'm practice law there and I work mainly in mergers and acquisitions. So I help people uh, buy and sell companies. Um, I also help people invest in companies and really get them started. Uh, I really didn't, see myself going to law school early on. I think you know, my dad was a lawyer for a period in time and I kind of was thinking, you know, I don't want to just follow, you know, what he did and everything. And um, so when I went to college, I wasn't thinking that I studied economics. And um, one of the classes I took later on was a class called American Economic History. And that, that was basically a comparison of the Constitution to the Articles of Confederation, which were in place before the Constitution, mm-hmm. and then comparing those to um, the uh, uh, Constitution of the Confederate States. So, you know, what, during the Civil War, when they split off, they wrote their own, the South wrote its own Constitution, and kind of looking at it from a, a very macroeconomic standpoint, but, you know, reading the law, the language and the law, and, and what impact that can have. And that, that kind of inspired me to, you know, I, I've really enjoyed reading that and thinking through that, thinking through how what people write can impact, you know, how they how they're going to act or what how they're going to conduct themselves. And um, and so from there, I you know applied to law school, went to law school, and just kind of um, you know now I am where I am. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. So getting into mergers and acquisitions, how did you go down that route? You know, um so in law school, when, during the summers, I interned with a couple of law firms, and I was kind of 50-50 on the fence. So, you know, when you're in law school, you're, there's always this, do you want to do litigation or do you want to do kind of transactional work, which is going to like mergers and acquisition or securities regulation. And I was kind of open, but I was always leaning a little bit towards the mergers and acquisitions work because it's kind of business related. It's like what I studied. And, um, but I, I wasn't going to write off litigation because you just don't know. Uh, until you do it. And so I went all the way through and I still stayed kind of 50-50. And uh, going into my last year of law school, um, I had the opportunity to uh, clerk 
for uh, a judge on the uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, the, the you know federal judge, and it was um, and she's she's based here in Houston, and it was really a great a great experience. The, um, uh, I worked with three other guys, and we're all very very close friends today. Um, we all worked for this judge who was very very smart, and um, it's very much when you do that, it's a one year thing, and it's kind of like an apprenticeship, so it's a great uh, transition to, you know, going from, I'm a college student wearing like, you know, sweatpants and stuff to, I've got to show up at a job every day and do something. But, um, but it was a great transition for that. And it's a great transition too, for, um, for practicing law, because you're going from being a law student and you've got this intermediate where you're working with someone who's very, very smart, very well respected. And, but you're working really closely with them and the very much a mentor capacity. Uh, before you just kind of go out, right? And um, but so for a year, I you know read briefs, I wrote memos, I did tons of legal research. And when I when I at, at the end of that year, when I reflected on that versus when I worked on transactional projects during those summer internships, I knew that you know uh, when I worked on the transactional projects, if I'm reading an agreement, I really like time would kind of fly by. You just kind of get in the zone and um, you just felt like, you know, time was, you just didn't feel time. When I, when I do legal research and writing or when I did, I could, I could feel every second. Like I just didn't, it was something I could do. I just didn't want to do. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I knew that. And so once I went to the, uh, the Porter Hedges actually right after that, um, uh, that's, you know, the group I went into was kind of the corporate mergers, mergers and acquisitions group. So. Very cool, man. Very cool. It sounds like you had a really cool mentor. Talk a little bit about your perspective on mentorship. Is that something you really sought out or is what did you just kind of happen upon it? Do you have, you know, do you seek out mentors in your life? You know, um, I can't say that I do, but I think it's like one of those things looking back, um, you know, would I, I would think about it differently because I do think it's important. And I do think that that kind of seeking out is important um, because in, in that kind of a mentor relationship, like any relationship is, is kind of a two way street. Right. And a lot of times it takes somebody to make, you know, just to kind of take that first effort and that seeking out a mentor, talking to someone, getting to know someone. Um, I mean, that's part of it. And so I, you know, when I look back, I wish I'd have done that more for that, for that, job with the judge i mean it's kind of set up to be that because you're working so closely with them and um and so that's always been you know i've always been very thankful for that because it is it's it's um i do consider her a mentor and um and you can have mentors for like different aspects right Mm -hmm. Uh, different aspects even within your professional career different aspects for personal and i've i've I've, she's she's considered her a mentor for a little bit of both actually for, for, you know, kind of professional, um, uh, you know, when you start thinking about, you know, sometimes things come up, right. And you're trying to think about what, you know, what opportunity works best, what, what, how should I think about this or, or, um, you know, things just change very drastically. And then, um, but also she's always, always been there um, as a personal mentor too, frankly. Um, if, if, you know, when personal things come up, um, she's, if you reach out, it's always, you know, I've reached out to her and you'll, she'll respond very quickly and, and get on the phone and talk to you. But I've, I have developed mentor, you know, where I work, um, 
I've developed mentors as well, or people I consider mentors, and in the same way, um, because I do think it's, and I mean, now when I work with people, I try to kind of keep that in mind. When I meet law students, I try to think about, you know, gosh, what what's something I wish someone told me or something I just, I lucked out and found out about or heard about, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd like to just pass that on, right? And I'll do that, um, or, or, or people I work with at the firm, you know, I'll, I'll do that. And if they want to engage and continue and stay in touch, I'll, I always, you know, I'm always happy to do that and kind of be a sounding board sometimes for stuff. I love that, Joe. I, I think people that are thinking that way are amazing because I, I relate to your comment earlier that I wish I could go back and do it over again and seek it out more than I did. And, you know, the fact that you're looking to, help people and do those things. I actually, before starting GLE, you know, I had all these ideas in my head and one of them, like, I didn't really have it it developed, but it was basically the things I wish I knew. And I was, I had this like laundry list of like, man, I wish I understood this stuff when I was like 15 or 16 or 18 or whatever, you know, and everyone always says they wish they could start sooner, right? That's the one common thing you always hear uh, people say, business owners, what have you. And I don't want to miss either the, you know, you talked about choosing mentors and kind of seeking out mentors. And and I think it's something that I've realized recently is most people walk through life and they have accidental associations. You know, you, you and me, I, I went to, well, we were at a networking event, right? So we took a step to go to a networking event where we could meet new people and, and connect. Right. So that's, that's in a way seeking it out, but you know, I think if you really want to learn something or want to do something, you need to find somebody who's doing what you want to do and, and really sync them out. And, and for some reason it's, it's not as common as I think it probably should be for people to, to approach it like that. They, they kind of just end up with whoever's around them. And uh, I, I think of that as accidental association, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to think of it is like, you know, and it's hard. I mean, I think, you know, I think back, coming right out of law school and then getting started at the firm, you kind of don't, you don't know, it's hard to say what you want to do. Right. But I think then at that point you're learning and you just need to, you know, learn as best as you can. And then as you figure out and, and, you know, kind of get this knowledge, then you started, you know, thinking what direction do you want to go exactly that way? And then, and then, yeah. And then being, um, you know, it's, it's not being, passive about it right and, yeah. and not being pushy either but 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 being you know um uh you know just taking that action and doing that and i i think about that too because we within our group at the firm some of the lawyers some of the partners do more securities regulations some of them do more like me do more mergers and acquisitions mm-hmm. some do you know some do more financing and loan agreements and as associates come in i mean you could work with anybody but then the reality, and then, but then, they're, and they're, and you're told, you know, as you kind of get a sense of what you like to do and, or who you like to work with sometimes, you know, but if you want to try something, seek that person out. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to do some securities offerings, seek out those, you know, lawyers that do that and ask them. And you've got to, and be proactive about it. You know, ask sure. them, I'd like to do that. I'd like to help on that next thing. Yeah, a very purposeful approach, right? And um, we met at that networking event was joining groups and, and networking and um, associating in those types of environments, something 
that you've always done? Or was that, you know, did you have an epiphany one day and go, you know, I'm going to start joining some things and, and maybe exploring other avenues? Yeah, no, well, not something I always did. And, um, and, but I was probably now, um, maybe five, five or six years ago, started to think about, you know, how can I, you know, expand my network? How can I just meet, you know, more new people, interesting people? And, and then I started to think about, you know, look at the different, what, A, what am I interested in? What do I do? And then B, you know, where do I want to spend my time? And so it was really about five years ago when I, I started thinking about that and, you know, started doing, you know, and this is a little over five years ago, I said, okay, I really like going to the rodeo. I'd like to learn more about it. I'll just volunteer. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I did that. And that, and then um, another was I'm under 40, still under 40, but <laughs> I'm under 40. I work in, you know, generally I work with a lot of, you know, people in the energy industry. I'm going to go to, you know, this group and that's kind of energy focused. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of thing. And so I did start to try to be more proactive about going to those groups and meeting people and, um, and then, you know, from there following up with them. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you can, cause, and that's, that's the thing is you can meet, you can meet people at these, at these things and, you know, you might follow up with them and half may not reply or just might not, you know, you might not meet them again and then half you may meet multiple times and, and, sure. you know, come to know. My wife and I this year, and it, it's amazing. It ended up being COVID this year, you know, the, the funkiest year I can remember. We sat down and made personal goals for the first time. You know, I'm 31. It was New Year's Eve. We didn't have plans. We were going to stay in, just be lame. We poured some drinks and we sat down and we're like, let's make some goals for 2020. Let's, you know, forget New Year's resolutions. Let's actually sit down and figure out like what we want to do this year and looking out five years. Right. And then when COVID came around, it, it was really an opportunity to take essentially spare time, you know, we, we, without commuting and, and things like that, we all got a little bit of time back. And, you know, it was really just a decision, that purposeful decision of how, you know, how can I be really deliberate and purposeful with spare time? You know, most people sit and, and binge watch some Netflix, which I'm definitely guilty, guilty of from time to time. But you know, it's just how, how can you take, you know, one or two more steps to be a little more purposeful and deliberate with how you spend your spare time. And I think, you know, that approach and that mindset is really, really invaluable at progressing, especially progressing rapidly and not just letting uh, accidental association take you wherever it may. No, that's cool. That is, I mean, and that, that's important. And those goals can be anything from, you know, you know, big career goals to just kind of dis and or discrete, you know, things to accomplish or, or also fun things, you know, learning something new. There is something to that. There's, you know, we, I, um, and this was a while ago too. It was about, it was probably six or seven years ago. I think I was feeling like I was just, you know, you just go to work every day and then, you know, get watch TV. And, um, and I started following, you know, one of the blogs I was following, it was called the art of manliness, which is a really neat blog. I follow that one. Yeah, and, I'm, uh, I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it's, you know, it's for men and women. Right. But, um, uh, but the whole point is, you know, it, well, it has all kinds of different things, but one of the things I noticed that they were setting up 
was this kind of, uh, I guess, a network or social media, and it's called uh, The Strenuous Life. You're in a group of about 25 or 30, and then there's a, there's a number of other groups of 25 or 30 in like your cohort. And they only do, they only would, you know, they only have signups at certain times. It's not just, you know, as you want. Sure. And so I saw that and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to sign up for that. I'm curious about it. So I did. And the first thing you do is you have to, one is every week you have what they call the, um, the weekly Agon, A-G-O-N. And it's just a thing to do that week. And it might be, you know, bear crawl for 50 yards outside, or it might be read a book or my, you know, it's kind of varied what you do, but it's just like, do this, do the, you, here's your goal for the week to do. Um, but the other thing it has is it, and my, my wife kind of called it, you know, Boy Scouts for Men, but it had badges and it was things like um, learn how to pick a lock and there'd be, you know, how to, you know, information on there about how to do that. Um, one was, you know, it was kind of the astronomer badge, but it had, it has different actions and you track them online. It was like, observe the moon every night for 30 days and, you know, journal about it. Um, and so it was kind of these, again, these little things to do to accomplish. And then you get a little badge and, um, and you do it. And if you do those weekly challenges for, um, I can't remember if it was six months straight, then you, you would get like a, you know, a, a little coin kind of saying you did it, you know, kind of thing. But uh, it was nice every once in a while. I don't, don't go on there as much now, but it's, Every once in a while I think about that because I've picked up, I mean, some of the things I do now just, you know, I like to make cocktails as kind of a hobby. Um, and a good hobby, but, man. You know, doing that kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Not, not too frequently, but <laughs> yeah. the nice thing about that is when you make it, you know, if it's enough to just make one, you're like, okay, I'm not, you know, too much trouble to make that second one. Yeah, so yeah. one is good. Cool, man. But, but it, was, cool. it was a neat thing. Yeah. yeah. I have to commend you. One of the things that, strikes me about you and um very few people do this and so it, it kind of stands out when you do do it well i say very few people i don't know many people that do this but whenever we arrange time to hang out or, or whatever you always follow up with me beforehand and make sure we're still on and you know you've always done a great job of following up you're a great communicator your wife and you have a, a cool Christmas party that you throw for some friends, which I thought was cool. We didn't get to go because we had a conflict, but one of these years we'd love to go. But where did you learn that? Is that something you learned or is that something that you just do naturally? Or, you know, what, what really kind of like triggered your approach to following up with people, communicating, you know, throwing events, things like that? Yeah, that's, um, I appreciate that. No, one, um, that's a good question. I think I, my view, so actually, I and mean, I think it is the goal is to kind of be a good communicator. And um, one way to do that is I just try to think about how to make it easy for someone, right? And how to, um, and, and so if, if, you know, I, if we make, if I make plans for someone or with someone to just meet them for lunch or whatever, and it's a friend or a business contact, I'll do a calendar item largely for my own benefit, but also I'll send it to them just so they have it on their calendar, you know, and that's just, it, it's just intended to make it easy. And then, you know, as the day is approaching, I'm, I know that stuff can come up. And so I, my thinking is, you know, I'll reach out and make sure every, you know, that it's still good and still, that's still on. And if it, if something has come up, that's no problem. Um, but it's, again, it's just trying to um, 
keep that open and make it easy for someone. Um, I try to think that way too, whenever, you know, if I'm sending emails that are just conveying information or if in work, right, the emails I send. And I, the way I think of it is like, if I, if I get an email from someone and it's a, a, a novella of, you know, a page, two pages of writing, I, that's hard to read. And it's really hard to get what is the message out of that. So when I, when I send emails, I try to think about, you know, how I'm, I'm structuring what I'm saying, you know, try to organize it in an orderly way, use bullet points, um, uh, you know, a lot. You just try to pull out that, inf you know, important information and that kind of thing. But then the, on the on the on the Christmas party, we started doing that because um, we really liked, and we actually do it in combination with my mother-in-law and sisters-in-law. And what we did, we started doing it actually a while ago because we just wanted to do something fun for the holidays and bring together our groups of friends um, and just have a good time. And it's it's kind of grown over the years. We sadly, and we, we do plan to send out some sort of notice, but as you can imagine, um, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. won't have it this year. It's not going to be a uh, Zoom meeting? Yeah, really. <laughs> we can Just send kidding. out like, I don't know, cocktail <laughs> kits to everybody. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but, but, you know, and that's, but that's another one where it, it's a lot of fun to, you know, I, like, I invite, you know, friends and people I work with and kind of visit with them in that setting and also visit with, you know, by <laughs> It's funny, both my sisters-in-law and both my parents-in-law um, are all doctors. And so it's kind of a fun mix of, you know, our various friends, people, you know, in the medical um, uh, industry, people in the practice law, people that are, you know, business people. Um, so it's kind of a fun mix in terms of, you know, who, who all shows up. Cool, man. A bunch of doctors and lawyers. I like it. <laughs> I like but, and, it, man. And now, you know, like with uh, my wife being the physical therapist, now we have a pretty strong um, contingent of physical therapists. Oh, too, there you so. go. Very <laughs> cool. Very cool. You mentioned email writing. That's something I've really embraced. I, I, I'm probably guilty and, and fail at maybe putting a little too much content in emails from time to time. But one of the things I you triggered in, in my mind was when I read, I don't know if you read the book, Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. You ever heard of that book? Mm -mm. He talks about, and, and it's another, another way to, uh, you know, approach emails is, you know, how do I reduce email traffic by my email? And so, you know, a lot of people in emails will ask open-ended questions or, you know, they basically leave an option for an email chain. And, uh, one of the things he talks about is it's like, okay, you know, how can I put conditional statements in my, or conditional questions and answers in my emails so that I can avoid a, a back and forth over email. And something I see all the time is like, I'll, and maybe it's a lawyer thing because, you know, you're trying to document everything, but you know, I, I, uh, a lot of times there's like conversations via email, like back and forth. And to me, like it's way more effective to just pick up the phone, have a conversation. You can send one email and document it when you're done, but you know, I just see so much, like we get so much email. I don't know about you. I have, I have like a bazillion email accounts I have to keep track of. Are you the same? I don't, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I have like six or eight or something ridiculous, but like the more we can reduce email traffic from my perspective, the, the better start treating it more like a, like a letter instead of uh instead of email. And you're seeing good collaboration tools, you know, Microsoft teams, other things come out that, uh, you know, are kind of helping with that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, 
um, email is kind of, I, you know, I think of obviously you know, we see all kinds of like memes and stuff. And I saw one the other, other day and it was, you know, I went to four years of, of college to be a professional emailer basically. Right? But, <laughs> yeah, um, right. but emails are tough because they are kind of, you know, they're a little bit more than the instant message or what you send on teams. Um, but they're not the full on formal written, you know, memo or letter or something. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but, but, but that's the thing is if you are using email, you want to be kind of cognizant of what are you hoping to accomplish? What do you hope to get back? And, you know, maybe it's a conversation, but that's hard when, especially if there's multiple people on there. Um, uh, but you know, maybe you're trying to either a yeah notice notify somebody something you know of something, or you're trying to get an answer to something, um, and so you that's where that would make a lot of sense to just lay out like what are the questions, but don't in a way that's conditional, not you know just kind of leaving it wide open because um, you know what happens there. The other thing about it is, I mean, one thing I do try to do with email also is is personalize it a little bit. Um, because the other thing is if you are looking maybe for some input or, or response, if you send an email, you know, to a big group of people and it just says, you know, dear all blah, blah, blah. Like how many I've yet to, you know, no one will respond to that because it's so <laughs> generic. You're right. not, you send a blast email to the, to the ether and everyone else is busy. And so, you know, generic email not addressed to me is a real great way to, you know, that's a quick filter. Um, but, you know, whenever I've, I do things like that, I try to, you know, I'm going to have, if you have a generic email, but then if, if there are people I really do want their feedback, I might send them a direct note, you know, an email or forward it and say, such and such, you know, address to them. What do you think? You know, I'll just reach out, per, you know, directly, right? Sure, and try to sure. at least make it a little personal if that's what you want to accomplish. That's a really good recommendation. I like that. And again, I'm probably guilty of, of failing when it comes to email. I think a lot of times we just get really busy and sometimes we're just trying to move quick and be effective and we'll just blast off an email. And, uh, you know, it's important. I think your, your comments are right on, like take a little more time, structure it, be thoughtful, be direct with people, you know, personalize things, make it easy for them. You know, I think that approach of just making it easy on other people is such a key thing for leaders to remember. It, you know, your job is to make it easy for your team to achieve their goals and, and be, you know, really a, a facilitator of communication and efficiency increaser. You know, your, your job is to tear down barriers and, uh, you know, not, not in an uncollaborative way or, or in a, you know, violent way, tearing them down necessarily, but just remove those and make it easy on people to be successful, right? Put them in a position to be successful. Yeah. Joe, what is your leadership approach? Do you, do you, when you think about your career and some of the things you do and opportunities you may have had to, to lead, what are some of the things that are really important to you that, that you key in on and, um, Maybe what are some of the things you see in some of the good leaders that you've had the opportunity to work with? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think one thing I try to do and, 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 you know, see, you know, and, and I've seen in other people too, is, um, you know, really try to just be authentic, right. About what you're doing and trying to accomplish. Um, I think, especially in what I do, right. In, in, in practicing law and working on transactions, um, it can, it can, it can 
lose a lot of the personal touch when you're just you know sending you send you know, you revise the agreement and you send the comments back and then you get them back and you talk about them with the client and then you send it back. But I mean, and, and it's important to kind of you know know the law, know what you're reading, know what you're practicing. But um, it's also important to kind of once you know that, also know you know how can you you know be more of yourself in what you're doing and then how and, and in how you interact with people. Um, I and and so and I do that both you know with with my colleagues and who I'm working with and and also with people you know on on my team when we're working on a on a project. Um, and it's it's kind of a balance though because, um, but I I mean to me you know when you're kind of that when you're authentic about something when you're trying to, um, um, kind of have that personal touch, then you you really can get, um. You can get that much more, I think, out of out of out of people. I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. One of, one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received was to just ask people how they want to be communicated with. Have you ever done that? Mm. Have you ever had someone do that to you? You know, not had that someone do that to me, but I did have someone. Um, and it, and it actually caught me, I, and I, it made me more aware of that. And it was basically, you know, I was working on the project with someone and, um, and something came in and I, instead of me just kind of answering it, right. I sent them a note and I said, Hey, you know, what do you think? Right. How should we respond? And he, he, you know, sent me his response and, and which was very helpful. And then after the fact, talked to when we talked about it, he was very thankful of me asking him that. And it was kind of because he, he'd worked on a project where he'd never been asked what he thought or what, you know, or for his input in that, in, in that way and so in, in how to communicate. And so that really made me think like, gosh, I should ask that more. (laughs) Yeah. You have these moments and I was actually, I learned that in a training class and um, I actually tried it with some folks and, it seemed to be really effective. You just, you know, really ask them like, okay, you know, how, how do you want me to communicate with you? And also you got to teach people how to communicate with you. And, and many people don't do that. They'll sit and be frustrated or, or annoyed because someone's blasting them with a message when they'd rather they just call them or they're sending them a bunch mm-hmm. of emails when they'd rather get a chat or, you know, a, a million different other things. But I, I, I've actually done that where I put sort of a, from one to five priority of, Hey, if you need me, do this. And if that doesn't work, do this. And if that doesn't work, do this. And the last option is send me an email because I, you know, I don't want, I don't want more emails and, you know, doing that and, and then hearing from them, like what, you know, how do you want me? This is how I want to be communicated with. How do you want me to communicate with you? And it's funny how different the responses you get. You know, some people are, are like, Hey, you know, I want you to message me and ask me if I'm available before you call me on the phone. You know, that, that was one I've gotten. And I actually hate that. I would much rather someone just pick up the phone and call me. Um, but I understand they're being considered, right? So it's all, it's all like you said, you know, how do you make it easy on other people and be considerate of them and just, and just make it easy for them. And I, I just think that's such a good takeaway for leaders out there. We're ripe in our environment today for some mergers and acquisitions, I feel. And I know you probably can't share. I hope so. <laughs> well, I know like, you know, it seems like there's a lot of opportunities for changes in business and ownerships and structures and 
lots going on in the world. Seems like a lot's changing. So just curious your overall perspective on it all. What's the environment looking like to you? Any thoughts? Yeah, no, it, it actually, it has been, I mean, the last, you know, eight, nine months has been very interesting. Um, I had some transactions I was working on, you know, going into COVID and a couple of them, you know, pushed through and closed and people were, were you know, wanting to get it done. And then um, a couple of them were kind of delayed and pushed off and, and, you know, some are still delayed. Some got done in the middle of this. Um, I think what has been interesting about this is it's so industry and, and business specific. And so there are type, there are certain industries um, and businesses that um, are very attractive for potential buyers um, in, in that business. And, and the hard thing is that, you know, there's peop- buyers that still want to put capital to work and there's kind of fewer of these good targets. And those, that, those targets are kind of like, you know, um, business services, software services, um, as well as things that are, A, you know, they could still work during all of this, but um, as well as any kind of, um, uh, you know, selling online businesses, that kind of thing. You know, the ones that are hurt, as you keep, I mean, any tourism is hurt, retails be hurt. Um, and then, you know, where, where our firm does a lot of work, um, and we have a lot of experience is energy and the energy industry has been hurt. Um, when you think about the different areas of the energy industry, you've got, you know, the upstream producers, they've been, they've been um, down and, 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 and not a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on other than the huge kind of huge corporate level um, deals that you, that you hear about, but kind of your normal, what you think of, of acquisitions and divestitures of, of producing assets that's been pretty depressed for a little while because of pricing. And then when this all, when the, especially the initial part of the, the pandemic and shutdown, um, that's been um, very depressed, I would call it. And part of that is how those assets are valued has actually changed in the last number of years. You know, it used to be if you, if you um, leased up a bunch of minerals and you drill a couple of wells and prove it up, and so you've now you've proved up these reserves. You've caused them to be, you know, proved undeveloped reserves from from you know when they were more speculative. Then you've created value, and someone will come along and buy that. And you could you could take on debt to get that done, but you you were going to basically flip these. And it was very much about the value of the reserves. You know, three years ago, it, around um, how that those are valued has changed. It's not about value of reserves anymore. It's about cash flow. <laughs> are you profitable? Are you generating more cash than you're using to drill and operate wells? And that's a very different um, at, at that point. And so they've been, you know, companies, private companies have kind of struggled through all of that. Um, and, you know, what we've seen in the pandemic is it's really kind of rippled through in terms of midstream companies have struggled downstream, surprisingly, um, have struggled because of, you know, the depressed demand for gasoline and mainly the depressed demand for jet fuel. Um, and then where, where I do a, a good amount of work is in what I call energy services. So it's kind of everything else, the people that make, you know, valves, the people that, you know, truck and ship the products, the people um, that, you know, are working around the wellhead, those companies are, are you know, their margins have been really minimized because of the, the pressures from leading up to this. And now they're kind of getting hit as well. So, but there is 
some consolidation. I think it's just hard on that side of it is, you know, people always like to have a deal, but it's kind of at what point will, will people, are sellers willing to take, you know, the low price. But, um, but I, I, I mean, definitely you are seeing, like I said, in, in some industries, um, people going back out and acquiring and investing in, in companies. So it's, um, it's, it'll be, you know, as we go into 2021 and I don't know, I don't know if things will normalize, but as we just have more of this, and so you kind of just factor it in. Who knows you know? what it's going to uh, be, man? Yeah. <laughs> Good grief. What a year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Interesting to see for sure. Going back to that cash flow versus the value of a reserve, help, help uh, an ignoramus like me understand what, like, why that value perspective changed. You know, it's our. It, it's hard and there's, there's probably been a lot written out there. So um, it's kind of hard to say, I guess it's hard to say why, but it, it ultimately, um, you know, what, what would happen? I mean, a lot of times companies, what they would do is they would raise capital or borrow money and, and be able to either acquire these assets or, and also drill and kind of prove them up. And so you, you, cause it's the thing about producing, oil and gas is it's very capital intensive right and so they would they were able to go do that and they were able to go get more capital to do that some more and it was again kind of building up the reserves that they have um and then if, and they would do that in, in companies um you know they would develop people in the companies would develop their views and theories on you know this play or that play or you know and so kind of where you build up these positions is very you know there's um a little bit of art in that science, right? And right. Um, and so they do that knowing that there's larger, you know, larger companies will come and want to buy that from them. Ultimately, you know, the the large, um, uh, you know, chevrons of the world will want to come and buy these these assets and then put them to work. And the, at that level, those companies do generate cash flow. They've got so many assets, they're producing so much, and they're in so many different areas of the energy industry. I mean, they are doing cash flow, but when you've got just the pure upstream producer operator, um, you know, that it was kind of a little bit different prospect. And so, and it was just such a fundamental way of valuing businesses, including public, you know, companies when they were, you know, just producers, right. And you know, public company that's just producing upstream um, oil and gas, you know, the biggest thing they, you know, you'd look at was the reserve report. And you know how many how much reserves they've got there and the value of the reserves. Um, now that's now it's you know net income, right? It's it's the profit. And so prices stayed depressed long enough that you know people weren't having the success at kind of right. sell, reselling, right? Improving mm-hmm. up reserves and selling them. You just you just didn't see the success there anymore. And then that that kind of trickles out, and then you just you know investors, the public investors, you know, their view of that, their willingness to put more money towards that slows down. And then that kind of trickles down to the private companies because their ability to raise the capital to do that, you know, since that's the end goal is to sell that company there that, you know, raising public money, um, their ability to do that, you know, really reduces. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Joe, this has been fun, man. One question I've been asking my guests yeah. recently after I've, you know, I started this podcast and as I've, as I've been doing it, I've also gotten the perspective of, 
hey, you know, who knows who could see this multiple generations from now? And I think about, you know, how cool it would be if my great, great grandpa was sitting there talking with, you know, my buddies, you know, maybe, maybe our great, great grandkids will be buddies and, and they'll be sitting there and, and, uh, looking at Joe and Phil talking one day, grandpa, great, great, great grandpa, Joe and Phil, you know, what, what would I want them to hear? What would I want to leave them with? And so the question I pose is if you only had one, one to three things to leave with those generations to come, what would they be? You know, um, it would be to really remember the, the importance and the value of, of human connection, right? And that's what um, I think, it's something I think, you know, again, think about like what I wish I knew a little earlier. And it's kind of you getting out in what you do, you know, making connections, you know, learning, you know, meeting people, learning about what they do, thinking about how you can help them, um, asking for help when you need it. But it's that it's it's that is just so valuable, you know, even at you know at the lowest level, but all the way up, you know, as you work your way up, you know, kind of knowing, you know, meeting people, learn, you know, getting to know them, and then knowing you can rely on them and and reach out to them. And so that 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 human connection, um, even early on, you know, and I, it's not a networking thing; it's just a human thing, um, and, and to me. And, um, and so that's something that even, you know, if someone's in high school and they, you know, get to know the managers at the, you know, maybe not the movie theater, but the, wherever they work, right. Right. Or, um, as you're in college, you know, get to know the people that you're in class with, get to know your professors and then stay in touch with them. You've got, you know, kind of make that connection and maintain it. Um, if I were, that would be something to really kind of keep in mind. I love that, Joe. That's something that I neglected. And I'll be honest, I, I neglected that for the last five, 10 years. And just in the last few years, I've started to go, you know what? I really, I took those for granted. I took those good relationships I had from my high school, my college and uh, other days. And just, you know, I took them for granted. And I've been reconnecting with some of those folks recently, you know, via, via COVID we're having all these video conferences yeah. and things. And, you know, for some reason we had, you know, we had the technology before and FaceTime and things, but for whatever reason, it just didn't take advantage of those types of things. So I think that's a great, important takeaway. And, and the networking that that's the, your motivation matters. And that comment that it's not networking, it's just human, you know, it's, it's the why behind it. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it for selfish reasons or are you doing it to, you know, help out your neighbor and, you know, just be a, you know, be a friend, be it, be a human to them. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how you're going to meet people that are going to connect with you and do the same thing for you. Right. It's not, it's not networking for, for your benefit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. So when's the next symphony, man? You, uh, you go into the symphony yeah. anytime soon? You know, so it's actually been really interesting what they're doing. Um, We've started, the symphony um, has been doing live stream symphony um, every Saturday night. Uh, and they've got, you know, the, the members of the symphony there are socially distanced up on stage. So it's actually a smaller symphony than, than what they would usually have, which okay. kind of affects the, the um, repertoire that they can choose from, essentially. 
Um, and then they do, they do have lots. So we went maybe three weeks ago. Um, we went and I, I mean, there was only, it's actually was a very interesting experience. There was only maybe 150 people in there and oh, wow. uh, it was, a, it was, you know, the Saturday night event, the one they were live streaming and, um, your ticket has a, you know, a 15 minute arrival. So, and I, I say this, they're doing everything they can because I mean, this is, you know, this is what they do, right? They perform for groups, but um, your ticket has an arrival window and, you know, a 15 minute window and you can't go in until your window. And so you, you park in the normal place, you go in, you can only go in through one door and, you know, they check your arrival time as you kind of go there. And then when you go in the um, person who scans your tickets behind a big plastic thing. So they scan it, you know, through the plastic and then you go around and they have, um, one of these deals that can, you know, sense your temperature from far away. So it's not like someone's in your face taking your right, temperature. Right, so right. you kind of slowly approach this, you know, laptop <laughs> that has like this big, you know, it's weird, right? Over the they had one of, of those at the yeah, hospital they, when we had our baby. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So you, yeah, yeah. And like you kind of stand there and they'll give you a thumbs up and then you go around and, um, and you go to your seat and, uh, and where you sat, it was, I mean, we weren't within 15 feet of another person. And so it was very weird to be kind of in the, you know, um, uh, in Jones Hall. Uh, and there's like, you know, it, it actually felt, it, it, it was kind of, you know, you felt like it was kind of, you're just there. And then you, cause you don't see anybody for, you know, 15 seats this way right. and that way. They also removed a lot of seats to create aisles so that, you know, if you're kind of in the middle, there's, there's additional aisles going up and down. And then there's a lot of additional aisles side to side. So you can kind of go through these extra aisles to get to your seat. So you sit there, um, you have to wear the mask the whole time. And they had a nice message, you know, the intro message kind of pre-recorded is basically, you know, the ushers will be watching to make sure everyone has their masks on. Um, you have, if you have a second warning, they will ask you to leave. And then they had, you know, if you have a problem wearing a mask and it's not comfortable, or you can't do it, please see one of the ushers and they will, um, talk to you in the lobby about you know your your options to enjoy the symphony at home <laughs> basically because <laughs> for them for them to have the symphony to put it on i mean you have there's no exceptions you have everyone has to have the mask on and um and they and they take it really serious because they're just so thankful to be able to perform you know oh, even sure. in this very limited capacity but yeah, so but we it, it's been great. <laughs> yeah. For those that don't know, Joe and, and his wife are donors at the Houston Symphony. My Going back to your Christmas party, my family started a, a similar Christmas tradition, less people, but we started getting a, a limousine every Christmas. We'd all pitch in and take some close friends down to the symphony and, and uh, listen to Handel's Messiah. That was our, our Christmas tradition for the last several years. We've kind of gotten away from it a little bit, but um, obviously this year, I don't think we're going to, we're going to do it, but, uh, always love the symphony. We've had an opportunity to go together and uh, I think it's pretty cool that, that y'all donate to that. And, um, I'm from a musical family, so we have a, a passion for good music. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've, we've really enjoyed it. I mean, I think we kind of, um, eased into it. I, I would say, you know, we, we started by going to the, the pop symphony, you know, holiday special and the, and the, it just happened to be the first one we went to and it was a really, awesome production it involved you know the second half of it was the whole original you know grinch soundtrack including the the narrator the deep deep you know baritone voice um was somebody from the opera 
and he was up there singing, you know, you're a mean one. It was, it was really so fun. Yeah, it was so fun. Um, and so we went again the next year. And then after that second time, we thought, you know, this is, we kind of like the, the pops where, you know, we don't have as much of the background to really appreciate the classical music. And so we got kind of a partial season to go to the pops symphony and went to all those. And they started doing these movies with live symphony soundtrack, which are like when they can do them again are so fun. I mean, the, you know, when you see Jurassic Park with the whole symphony playing a perfectly in sync soundtrack to the movie that's up on the screen, you know, at the front of Jones Hall, um, it's pretty, it's, it's really fun. It's pretty powerful. And, um, and so we've, we've done that a number of times, but after that, we thought, you know, we really like this. We've had season tickets a couple of years. And then I found the kind of the, the, the donor group there. And, um, and we've continued to really enjoy it and, and support them however we can. That's so but good, definitely man. check out. So the live stream, you know, Saturday nights, eight o'clock, it's like $20 and you get a YouTube link and you can sit in your pajamas and make dinner and, you know, have the live symphony playing in your living room. It's really, it's kind of, I mean, I kind of hope it's one of those things from the pandemic. I hope they continue to do um, just because it's such a fun way to bring the symphony to a lot more people. Sure. Um, yeah. That's awesome, man. Very cool. To, to your point about the soundtracks, in high school, I had the opportunity, my high school choir to play with the Detroit symphony and, uh, we'll sing, I guess with the Detroit symphony and they did final fantasy and they did sort of the video game, final fantasy with the final fantasy soundtrack. So we were singing behind the, the symphony with the French horns blasting away. And, you know, Oh man, the, the sound that those professional musicians produce is incredible, man. Absolutely incredible. But very cool, Joe. Appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. If people want to find you and learn more about what you're doing at, at Porter Hedges, where can they find you? Uh, I'm definitely on the website, you know, www.porterhedges, which is P-O-R-T-E-R-H-E-D-G-E-S.com. Um, also on LinkedIn, I'm on there as well. I'm always happy to connect. Awesome, Appreciate you, Joe. Thanks for sharing today. It's great catching up. And we'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right. If you think someone would benefit from hearing this episode or any of this content, please share it and send them over to goleadeverything.com to learn more. It has been amazing to hear about all the individuals who listen to and are getting value from the content here at GLE. Thank you for your support. You are the reason we do what we do. See you next time. Go lead.